Hello, welcome to the Growing Design Podcast, where we help you grow your design agency. If you want to learn how to price your services, how to sell your expertise, and how to attract the right type of clients, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Ed Orozco. Let's get started. All right, and we're live. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Romina Kaucic. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. Um, she's a design strategist um, who holds a Master of Business Administration degree. She has more than 14 years of experience in design and consulting across uh, both tech, which includes some unicorns like Stella.org, Databox, Xamarin, Singularity.net, and some others. And she also has a postgraduate degree credential from the Blockchain Strategy Program at Oxford University. Romina, welcome to the show. Hello, Ed, and thanks for introducing me. Sounds like um, a better version of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, I know that you also have a podcast. I didn't mention that in the introduction, but I, um, I know that you have a podcast that's been running for about two years. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have a podcast uh, which I'm recording in my Slovenian language. It's called Tandem. Uh, like two people from different topics. Um, usually I talk about technology, marketing, and also I recorded some episodes from self-development self um, because I think that we live in a digital uh, world now and it's important that we take care of self selves. And um, I wanted to provide some topics to um, inspire people to make more of themselves. Absolutely. So it's also about, it has a heavy focus on, on design, right? Your podcast. Yeah. I um, introduce topics all from user experience, then how to um, design some products and also then how to scale them. We were talking about growth hacking. So yeah, a lot of interesting um, episodes. And when you're talking about self-development and technology, do you also sometimes explore how technology can help? Because the thing about technology is that it can be very harmful for, you know, people with anxiety and, you know, comparing themselves to, you know, all of these Instagram influencers and whatnot. But it can also offer you a way to um, improve your, your mental health. Like there's apps like Headspace and all of these meditation apps and apps for uh, working out and other stuff. Have you, have you talked about that in your podcast yet? Yeah, I talked and I also wanted to show that, you know, there's a lot of um, instructions how you have to meditate and you have to download the app and you have to listen to the app every day for five minutes and stuff like that. And then people are somehow scared to use them because this means that you have to follow specific rules and I was the same you know when before I didn't before uh, starting to meditate I was like oh my god there's so much stuff <laughs> where can I learn more but then I realized that um, instead of being still and sitting sometimes it's just better to go into nature and enjoy the nature listen to the sounds there and be quiet and um, it depends, you know, everyone is different and it's cool that you find your way to meditate. But of course, if you don't know how to, 
these apps like Headspace um, and Calm are a great way to start. And then you just have to explore what works for you. Right. Um, so I definitely checked out Headspace some years ago because I had no idea how to meditate. So that was for me my introduction to meditation. And it helped me a lot. I think I used it for like, I probably used it for like six months. And and I think I learned the basics. And then after a while, I started to like read about other types of meditation. I'm also a big fan of the Sam Harris podcast where he uh -huh. um, he talks a lot about meditation. And he has a meditation app. <clears throat> and there's there's other types of meditation that, it, that involve um, instead of guided meditation, like what you have with an app, you can also have unguided meditation, which I think it's the, the purest form of it, in which you just sit down, you close your eyes, and then you you stay there and see what happens. Um, I found that one to be very, that type of meditation, a lot more interesting for me personally, and it's what I've been practicing um, for, for the past year or so. Oh, nice. Yeah, it, you have to find uh, the voice that suits you. You know, so that it's also calming that you like to listen to. Um, otherwise, you're just alert <laughs> to how the people speak or guide you. Yeah, and then connecting that to the sign, I do feel um, the sign can be a very stressful practice. I feel like you have, well, especially people working in like fast-paced environments that you, they have to ship very fast. Um I feel like I always recommend meditation to everyone and you can apply it to every type of um, career that you have. But I find it specifically for designers, it helps you clear your, your mind. Um, I find that sometimes when you're trying to, to work through a creative problem, having some silence and some quiet time by yourself, it can help you um, sort of connect the dots that you and, and see patterns that you were not able to see because you were so in the weeds of solving a problem yeah definitely and it's i think it's also i mean it helps me that you learn um to stop people i mean to stop people to share your opinion in a nice way and that you're always kind because sometimes people are afraid or they are maybe not so self-confident and they don't tell um loud what they are thinking about so when you're working uh, in an environment that's uh, like you said changing so fast especially these days um, you miss a lot of opportunities to connect with people so if you're not prompt and to connect um, over the skype i mean over zoom or whatever um, you get really frustrated you know so when your boss tells you Uh, and next time yeah, you have to do something, you just explode. You know? So it's important um, that you also know how to build relationships um, in a qualitative way and that, um, you take care of the people because in the end of the day, that's the most important thing also in um, creating teams and being part of the team that's successful. Yeah, it definitely helps you develop that um ability to hear yourself like hear how you're feeling i think what you, you brought up a very interesting point which is sometimes people when they're in a high stress environment um and they're not used to meditating they they feel bad and they're not self-aware they don't realize that they are 
very anxious and they are uh, very stressed. So they end up exploding and that's not good for anyone. It's not good for for the person because, you know, it's, it's not going to sit well with everyone, with everyone in the team. And it's not good for other people because they're not understanding you. And at the end of the day, they still have to move along and continue working. So definitely meditating helps you listen to yourself so that you can reflect back and be able to more clearly express your thoughts. Yeah. And uh, now during the Corona times, it's also hard to um, make a line between your business um, time and your family time, you know. So um, in the same time, you can be a mother, you can be someone that's having a meeting. And then uh, the next moment, you're already creating a design or strategy or something really high level that requires your brain. So um, if you're just always alert, you know, always in going, it's really hard to be um, good at what you're doing, you know. You can be part-time. I mean, I believe that you cannot do something half-baked, you know, so you cannot be a mother and um, being at the meeting in the same time. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it helps... Um, again, meditation helps you sort of like compartmentalize. And then we're, I think we're going to stop talking about meditation. because <laughs> <Yeah. we're, laughs> it's a, There's so many uh, podcasts and other resources that will talk about the benefits of the meditation way better than, <laughs> than we're going to be able to. Um, so I want to talk a little bit. <clears throat> sorry. I want to talk a little bit about um, the website the designstrategy.guide is your website. The first time I saw it, I loved the visual design. It's very like, I don't, I don't know if psychedelic is the right <laughs> word, but um, it's it, it has very interesting colors and uh, and the typography and the and the layout. I I thought the design was very interesting, and that was the first thing that um that I noticed when I visited the site. But then beyond that, it's packed with a lot of very interesting. Um, resources like there's your blog there um, there's a lot of articles and then there's other stuff to um that explain the benefits of design strategy that i thought very interesting um so so how did you how did you come up with um did you design it yourself or did you hire a designer for the for the website no i did it by myself yeah and it took a lot of time to create this um, animation i did it with the help of my friend um, but yeah, I, I um, created this because two years ago I gave birth to a little baby boy. And during Aww. the time off, um, I had a lot of time to to think about what went wrong, you know, in my process when I was designing. And I realized there are a lot of parts that um, companies, especially like middle companies, miss. And then I started writing, you know, in my little notebook, what could be done better and how I can help these companies um, to learn more about design, you know, because it's our job as designers and also design strategists to educate clients um, about design processes. And then I just said, okay, a design strategy dot guide sounds good. And then I slowly started creating um and putting content on it and also making it more beautiful because this is a WordPress site, you know. And oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it takes a lot of hacks to make it uh, as it is. But yeah, I, I uh, gave myself permission to build it slowly, you know, 
um, because when you have a small um, baby, you cannot be um, there for full-time job. But yeah, now after a year um, that's outside, I think uh, we have a lot of content already that's interesting for people that want to be more business literate, literate um, and also want to learn more about strategy. Yeah, so um, you, you mentioned a couple of things. One is, uh, well, the first thing is I'm amazed that this is done on WordPress. I mean, not. I mean, WordPress is a great tool, but um, if anyone uh, in the audience is a designer and has tried to work with WordPress, it's not the most flexible tool for designing layouts and 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 intricate sort of like more more creative um, designs. Um, so I'm I'm surprised that uh, that's <laughs> okay. a WordPress. That's it's very great great job. And the other thing you mentioned is as designers, uh, we are there, or one of the the most important role in design is to solve a problem. I think there's a misconception uh, everywhere that design is just making it pretty, and then it's just the the aesthetics of it. But um, but you know. Really, what it, what it is is, you know, you have a problem that you have to solve. These are the constraints. These are, these are the resources. What's the best solution you can come up with? Yeah, a lot of times I'm also, um, I mean, people contact me, and then they just think that you're some kind of a magic fairy that will come there and make their uh, brief into something beautiful. And I don't think that's a design because. Um, Usually that means that they have some references of beautiful designs or products or mobile apps, which they find on uh, Dribble. And there is no one-size-fits-all process that you can just apply as a designer um, and they will be successful with it. Um, So I think that the first um, step for each company is that uh, they research their problem and that they have a clear goal in their mind because only then you can um, create uh, a plan um, how to make how to go to, I mean how to come to that goal um, and I usually suggest them that they break down the goal into some you know smaller tiny parts blocks if I can call it like that and then you can uh, create tactics for each block. And also it's much, much easier to uh, implement metrics. So when you explain to the client that this is the usual process, maybe sometimes they're like, oh my God, but this is so expensive. <laughs> you know, especially <laughs> for the user research, they are very, very scared. But I always tell them, yeah, it might be expensive, but maybe you can try to um, develop your product for a year, come back to me and you will tell me what's the number you just throw out of the window to do something that's not needed and your users doesn't even like it. Yeah, it's always (laughs) an issue of like, how do you tell them, how do you you explain that to the client without seeming cocky and without seeming arrogant? But it's just the truth. It's like, we've seen so many... um, so many clients um, that go out and, you know, do exactly that. It's like, oh, no, you know, I'm not going to pay so much for design. I just need my my product built right now. And they go and build it. And after one year, they realize they built the wrong thing and they threw out, you know, 
$50,000, $60,000 or more building an app that no one wants to use or is really difficult to use and they don't know why. And then they go back to the designer and they're like, we have this project, it's not really working and can you help <laughs> us fix it? <laughs> yeah, and they start the same uh, thing again. And maybe sometimes, I mean, it depends what you're doing. You know, if you're just some kind of a barber and you want to have a website that will tell you who you are, of course, you can copy a design and maybe you will be successful. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have similar colors. But if you have a product that's completely new, um, you have to start with research and um, you have you need a focus, you know, otherwise uh, it's just a fluff. Yeah, I think you you mentioned something that that's very very important. It's like if the barber wants to put up their services on online, it's different because a barber shop has been essentially the exact same business model for hundreds of years, if not thousands. Like people have been going to barber shops forever, yeah. and um, so you don't really need to explain anyone what a barber does everyone sort of knows even if you don't have a beer you know what a barber does so it's it's what we call or i like to think of that in terms of uh, it's a commodity service in which everyone sort of offers the same level of quality and then you're going to be shopping for maybe price and maybe you're going to care a little bit about the quality but if everyone is sort of like offering you the same level of quality what you really care is, okay, is it close to where I live or where I work? And how expensive is it? That's all they care about. So you don't really need this massive user research strategy and come up with um, something unique because people don't really care. It's like you're as good as the other person. It's like if if you have a barbershop across the street from another barbershop, I'm just going to go I'm just going to make my choice based on, you know, how cool the owner is or or if they offer me coffee when I walk in, things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a, it's a different, you're not differentiating yourself by the service. You're just adding more stuff to the core service, which is just, you know, cutting beer. Yeah, here in Slovenia, it's a cool example when these um, younger males, um, younger People open the barber shop and they put in the PlayStation, you know, in the couch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they suddenly got a lot of new customers, um, and they become really popular. And it it was also in the news. So, you know, it's just a tiny thing that differentiates you from all the other people. And you have to find what's different. You know, why are you so different from competitors? And it's the same. Um, for the products you know i think that um, it's really hard to be it's really hard to create something completely new these days you just create something that's that works better in a more seamless way um but yeah you have to find what that is yeah you're in a way the currency is now the attention like that's really the the most important thing how do you capture people's attention because we're in a time in history where like there's way too much information, like way too much. And then how do you cut through the noise and make sure the people that could be your potential clients are going to pay attention to you? Like, how do you, how do you attract uh, their attention? Um, And that is a very, I think 
strategy in turn when we're talking about design that's really what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out who or or really define who your target audience uh, might be and then where do they hang out do they use instagram or linkedin or they don't use social media at all they just read a lot of books or you know where where do they consume their information and when where do they spend their time and that's how you can connect with them yeah i think that the the core of strategy um is actually always the same you need to identify what's their issue like the most critical issue and then make a plan how you will face the situation and um i like to compare it to it um how it is when you're baking like a cake so if you add too many layers like if you make your plan too complex it will just break um because you added yourself like too much work and that work it's not applicable to your goal um but if you make just the right amount of the layers that will lead you to the goal um you will be fine and it's also um you don't bake a cake for the first time and you're successful you know that you make it so yummy um so you have to tweak the recipe and you make it a lot um like try it a lot of times and it's the same in design um in design strategy gives you the option um to make it like experiment you know that you iterate a lot of times you see um and you get the user feedback and you make it better and then again and again it's not something that you do and just um put out to the world and expect that it will be okay but we did this like 10 years ago you know when i started designing it was like that you created a design you put it um in source file give it to development guys and that's it you never saw <laughs> the uh, photoshop files again so this yeah, is you, not you the case now <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully it's not the case um I think, you know, if you're not really testing what your solution, how do you know it works? Um and then I think we should it would be a great idea to define what strategy is for for people who this would might be their first um exposure to strategy. I have my own definition, but I found that a lot of people define it in a different way. For me, it's the intersection between what the user needs or wants. and what's profitable for a company. Yeah, I agree. It's actually a bridge um that connects in one side business strategy and your planning and then on the other hand uh, also design thinking and design principles. But in the same time um I suggest that you also take a look at the current market situation and um your current business model of course. and the industry and like you said your user needs because only then you can define um, the course of action for your goal yeah i like to um i think strategy has a lot to do with positioning as well and finding um your niche and focusing on one thing only um i like to think it think about it this way is um if you have a factory with a lot of machines You, there's a lot of things you can you can make you can make i don't know you can make tables you can make uh stuff for the kitchen you can make um parts for cars there's so many things you can do if you have you got a huge factory for bending metal but is that really 
how you're going to get yourself known when you're entering a super competitive mar- uh, market where there's a lot of uh, huge companies already producing pretty much everything. So you're you're not really going to get known for one thing. So that's how I think when you're trying to break into a market and you have to compete with already established companies, you have to choose just one direction, choose just one thing. It's possible that there's a lot of things you can do like all of the things that I just mentioned. But if you just focus and I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, I don't know, just a crazy example. I'm going to design the best spoon ever, the best spoon, metal spoon ever. And, you know, I'll come up with a very revolutionary design. So if you want to do that, the only way to do it is through strategy. If you go and try to produce all sorts of things, you can, there, you know, you're going to spend a few years and a lot of money trying to find what's the product that people prefer buying from you as opposed to, buying it from another from another factory or another company um because you, no one knows you it's, you know you're a new brand you're a new player in the market so for me is strategy is particularly useful when you're creating something new or you want to reposition something that was already in the market but was not working yeah um it can be used whether you're just starting your business or also, yeah, like you said, when you want to um, start something new. Um, so no matter what, it gives you the ability to improve and grow. But if I follow up on your spoon um, goal... I don't think that was the best example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you can either decide that you will just start creating like a lot of different spoons or you will be known um, that you're creating... Um, cutlery you know the best ones but it depends what's your goal you know what was your previous experience Um, and also um, for this case you will also have to decide what's your target audience you know Um, because you sometimes I explain to clients when you will have to add the details in Facebook advertising or wherever you will advertise who you will target you know you cannot just say, oh, everyone from 16 to 60 years old. Um, it's not feasible. And then they start thinking, uh-huh, okay, now we have to really think about who are we selling to. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like deciding on your own. We've had so many in, in my in my career, I've heard so many entrepreneurs and, and product owners that when they come to, to us to create a new project, we ask them, okay, who's your audience? And they'll be like, yeah, everyone. Like, what do you mean everyone? It's like, well, everyone. And I tell them, you cannot have everyone as your audience. Like choosing everyone is choosing no one. And they'll be like, well, you know, everyone uses Amazon. Everyone drinks Coca-Cola. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not Amazon and you're not Coca-Cola. <laughs> they, oh these God. are massive companies that have spent a lot of resources getting well-known. Um, you don't have those resources, and more importantly, you don't have the time that they had to position themselves. Themselves. Um, you should always try. I watch a lecture by um, um, Peter Thiel, which was um, he was one of the founders of PayPal, mm-hmm. uh, together with Elon Musk, um, and he talks about how you, when you start, you need to monopolize a very specific part of the market. You start with the most specific part 
of um, the, the the idea was more like you have to to choose a very small and very well defined part of the market, own the market, understand their needs, cater to their needs, offer something that no one else is offering them, and when you get well known in that specific niche, you can add an uh, you can add another layer. Uh, or of expansion, like around that niche. So, like if you're catering, um, let's say let, let's take let's change the example of the spoon because I don't think that was really good. <laughs> uh, let's go back to meditation apps because it's it's a popular market that's growing. You have some big players, but you also have you know new apps coming out all the time. So, let's say you wanted to create a new app for meditation, and then the owner tells you, yeah, so. Everyone needs to meditate, so we're just going to market to everyone. Yeah, but then you're competing with Headspace and you're competing with all of the others, so you're going to have a hard time, um, you know, capturing a portion of that market. However, if you choose a very specific target, let's say I'm going to create a meditation app for anxious teenagers that are also gamers, something like that. Now you have something you can work with. You're going to be the meditation app for for teenage gamers. And then you know that you can promote on Twitch. You can go on YouTube where they they hang out. Instead of, you know, advertising on Facebook, where probably your target market is not... I mean, I don't think teenagers are using Facebook anymore. I don't think they even have Facebook accounts. So Yeah, now they are all on TikTok. (laughs) TikTok, there you go. So you probably advertise on TikTok as opposed to Facebook. Facebook is for all people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think that no matter what's the challenge, you know, design strategy and um, that's closely connected to design thinking actually allows you that you do risk going to the market. So let's say um, that we use your example for meditation and you find out that these teenage gamers um actually miss the connection with their um, friends, you know, because now during the corona, gaming is very popular, but they don't have this real connection with people. They they cannot talk with them in person. And then you find out when you're researching that they um, can create a community, you know, so you offer in your app a community part and you're already different um, as your competitors. So you can upsell something that they are currently not doing, you know. So maybe you add some different um, rooms there so they can talk about specific gaming stuff, you know. Um, So in this way, so like I said, no matter the challenge, you can um, use the uh, research insights in a smarter way and also iterate on them. And while you're making prototype, um, like a lot of times, a lot of iterations, you get your feedback um, and then you go to the market. So even if it's a spoon or a meditation app, um, it's a smarter business to go step by step, not just um, creating something that already exists. Yeah, that, that's very interesting because uh, what you said, even if you're an established product, but you discover there's an opportunity you can use the science strategy to target that opportunity. Let's say if you're Headspace, you can probably come up with either another app or you can come up with a feature inside your app that targets the teenage gamers. Um, So you create something specifically for them. 
I think it's also a, a matter of um, determining what what market you want to to cater to or where do you want to go with your product and then determine what's the best way to get there. Because um, going back to what we were saying recently that uh, if you just jump into building mode and start creating features and adding stuff and just developing the product, you're going to go around and like the fastest, the fastest way between A and B is, is a straight line. And when you're just jumping into building, you're just going to be going around in circles or you're going to be in zigzag or, or, you know, you're just not going to go straight. So the science strategy allows you first to determine who's your audience and second to determine what's the best way in which you can serve that audience. And, and the way I say you can serve because you have to take into considerations into consideration the things that you're good at, the things that you're actually capable of producing with a fair level of quality. Um, like if I go back to the factory, the factory is probably not well equipped to to create a meditation app. Or the guys at Headspace are probably not well equipped to create spoons. So you also have to take into consideration what you're good at, what your expertise is, and what part of your expertise is applicable to the target market that you want to to go to. Yeah, definitely. Once you know how you can make your customers' lives easier um, and help them be more effective, it's much easier um, to create tactics in your um, company for planning and optimization. And also, um, once you identify these business problems, you will easily create opportunities. Um, and this is the smart business because you're bridging design and business uh, world. So design strategists for me are actually like a translators. You know, you understand in one side what design brings to the table in a way that you can creatively solve problems. And on the other hand, also what business uh, brings. Um, and of course, if you don't have money, you you cannot serve uh, customers, so you have to sell your product. Um, and sometimes I think this is the simplest way, but we, um, but clients, I mean, the companies forget about that. You know, they they want to create something, sell it, but they forget that maybe there is no monetization plan behind. Um, yeah, I I love your um your your analogy of translators. For designers, I definitely think designers are translators. They translate the business talk into user or customer talk and customer talk into business talk. They help those two communicate. Yeah, I think there are still, um, like before we talked that a lot of people see strategy uh, in a different way because also like designers see design strategy more like art direction while business people see it more um, as a strategy, you know, like a plan, yeah, we'll, we will do this and this and this. And that's why it's right now it's hard um, for them to understand the value that can bring, the design strategy can bring to your business. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that slowly with this kind of conversation and podcast, they will get to know the process in a bit um, in a more deep, um, in, a, in a much broader um, situation so we can um, 
be more effective also like we as design strategists and them as company leaders. Yeah, you mentioned value and we already talked about how design strategy adds value to the to the business by saving them saving them time and money. But um, there's also some other benefits to strategy. Um, you can streamline your processes because if you know you're going to be building spoons and it's, we should probably abandon that example already, but you can optimize your, mach your machinery and your production line to only build spoons so you build them faster in, in less time with less people, um, with less resources. Uh, and it's just, just a good idea for business. You're just being more effective as a, as a business. Yeah, de definitely you're more effective because you have more effective design processes and that means that you will also spend less money. You know, let's uh, just take, for example, design system. Your employees um, don't have to do a repetitive work once you have a design system in place and they can focus on important stuff. And that also means that you will reduce um, overhead. And like we mentioned before, uh, you can use design thinking um, principles to solve problems more creatively there's a lot of exercises that will uh, lead you to better results um, and I really believe um, and also see first-hand experience that you decrease time to market um, because you get feedback so fast you know you're iterating on your product you get feedback and then you can go to market much much faster otherwise you're just um, perfecting your product and then in the end like we mentioned before it's not useful for the user um, and also once uh, the design is part of the dna of the company i really believe that you increase trust because um, people like everyone that works there are aware that um, we have to use the similar i mean this consistent visual language and that like in a branding aspect means that they will see, like um, people will see, huh, okay, yeah, that's the same brand, um, I, I trust them. And of course, if we take all this into consideration, that means that you will uh, perform financially much, much better because the users will be more satisfied and um, also come back regularly. Yeah, but the only way to get there is to start with the research to yeah, really definitely. understand. And I find, you mentioned design systems. I find that when you're talking to clients for the first time, it's a lot easier to for them to see the value of a design system because it's more tangible. It's something that it's more, you can see the impact in the, in the production process, especially in development. You don't have to design new screens every time. It's a, it's a lot more efficient because you already have all of the building blocks for new pages, for new features. Your engineers don't have to ask that many questions to the designers because they already know what they're going to build and how they're going to build it. And that is a lot, that's an easier conversation to have. It's like your design system is just going to make you save a lot of money because you're going to design and develop way faster. So everyone, you know, it agrees with that. But the the research part is what I find is consistently the most difficult thing to, um, let's say, not to sell, but it's the most difficult thing for the client to see its value. It's the client sometimes 
don't some they don't want to spend resources on research because it's this ethereal thing that they don't really know or or they'll they're gonna come to you and say oh we already did our research uh, we have analytics and we know you know how many users we have and all and and all of that we have the numbers so how do you go about telling them I mean we understand that research is is critical is like the the most important part of the design process in my experience but how do you communicate that to a client yeah i explain them that they are not their users you know so because um if you want to be closer to your customer you have to talk with them and usually in this kind of companies that are not aware of the user research i um, instruct them that they should listen to the customer support calls or just read the emails. It depends what kind of the company is. So a lot of times these company leaders or product managers are not even aware of what's going on there. You know, They have their own timeline and workflow, what they have to do, a specific list of features they need to build, uh, which they decided on like in the start of the year. And then they are just chasing these numbers and features by the end of the quarter or by the end of the year. Um, and if you show them like the different perspective, like the customer's perspective, sometimes they are really shocked, you know. And companies that don't connect these um, insights from customer support and sales guys um, are usually not really successful. I mean, they can do, uh, they can sell as much. They can sell some products um, and earn some money just to be alive. But on the other hand, they cannot make a step forward. Um, and when we start in like, that's the beginning. Um, and when they see the value of this, um, they can somehow start to trust you, you know. And once they trust you, it's easily, um, it's easy to go forward with user testing and then they can listen to the videos or maybe they can be in the same room. Okay, now it's Corona, they cannot be. Um, and also if uh, you as user researcher um, explain and show them the report like in a translated version, let's say in a very simple version, uh, so what's good, bad um, and the worst, they can uh, quickly understand, okay, yeah, yeah, this is going on. We cannot rely just on our numbers. We will do this and this. And usually my trick, or I don't know if this is a trick, is that um, I create um, like little tiny um, actions that we will do in a week or 14 days. Uh, so they will quickly see that the numbers are change, changing and that people are responding much, much better. Um, so, like I said, then they trust you. And once you have their trust, it's much easier to work on. Um, and usually when I'm, you know, I work as an outsourced um, consultant um, and I'm not there every day. So it's important that they do what's needed to, uh, to be done in their company. And they also provide reports on what's done, you know. Because otherwise you can create a great strategy and a workflow, but if it's not um, implemented properly, you didn't do anything. You know. So, like I said before, you need a whole team to go um, higher. 
Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were very interesting. Um, the first one is uh, you are not your user. So I think when you're in the production side, like um, behind doors working on the product, you see the numbers um, and you see the analytics, but without uh, qualitative research, you know what's happening, but you don't know why it's happening. And the only way to know to 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 figure out what why the user is behaving in a certain way is to do qualitative research. Is the you, I mean, there's many methodologies that you can implement for qualitative research, but looking at analytics is not one of them. And so you have to go and and, and you know interview users. So there's this there used to be this concept. I don't know if it's a thing anymore of the mystery shopper in which the owner of the company would go, you know, if you're the owner of a retail, um, mm-hmm. uh, some retail stores, you would walk into one of the stores, this guy's as a regular customer, make sure no one recognizes you and buy a few things. And, or if it's an online store, you, you know, you order something online, you go through the process yourself and then take note of what are the things that are not working for you when you're looking at your product from a customer perspective. Because there's a lot of biases. When you're building the product, you know exactly how the product works. And you don't really look at the product the way a customer is going to look at the product. Um, so, so that's a great, a, a great way of like understanding that your experience is not going to be the same as the customer experience. And the other thing you mentioned that I wanted to expand on is um, uh, in order to sell strategy or like the value of, of strategy and research, uh, you need to earn their trust and prove them that this thing works. So those early wins, when you're starting an engagement with a client, mm-hmm. showing them very quickly the value of what you're doing. You said like breaking it down into smaller pieces and then setting up uh, metrics for each one of those pieces and then showing them really quickly. Okay, we already found out that um, customers are really not liking this part of the process or whatever, like they, you know, they they get confused in this part of the checkout flow. That's already something that they don't know that they wouldn't have been able to figure out through um uh, through analytics, um because you know you went and talked to to the customers and the customers are gonna be like, yeah you know, at the when I'm at the checkout stage I want to see how long it's gonna take for this item to arrive to to where I live to my house. And they're like, oh, we didn't know that's the reason why you were not completing the checkout process. So I think that was a very important thing. Um, so mystery shopper and earn their, their trust. Yeah, um, like uh, when you're checking the drop-off, you know, like if you have an e-commerce site and you're researching what's going on and you might do like a lot of different stuff, you know, user research interviews, um, a B testing, I don't know, a lot of different stuff. But then you will realize that maybe they don't buy because there's too many um, decisions to be made. Let's say a lot of times people drop off because there's, I don't know, ten, uh, eight options for delivery. Then they don't add to cart because they don't know how to decide for their jeans, you know. Like they have eight options for style, they have eight options for color. And it's just too much. So sometimes adding too many options um, also doesn't help. Um, and let's say there's a metric for spending time in the app. You know, of course you want to have a higher time. Um, but we have a we had a situation when we were designing um, 
an app for elderly people for tablet. So imagine um, like 70 plus year old um, people adding their weight um, daily and their temperature and their level of oxygen. And of course, you don't want to have like higher time um, in the tablet because that would mean that people are not uh, really familiar with the layout. But when I was starting doing this user research, I was like, yeah, 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 we need to have a big buttons and we almost solve everything. Um, and uh, the interesting insight here was also that we were implementing the branding uh, guidelines. So that means that we had to use the orange color because the logo of the company was orange. And they freaked out, you know, when we had the user testing, they were like, oh, my God, something is wrong with me. Um, so, you know, simple things like this, you cannot um, find out with numbers, you know, you will. Uh, so you need to have interviews one on one. You, you need desk based testing. So a lot of different, um, I mean, combination of test user research that you come up with better insights. Yeah, open, open-ended interviews for me are one of the most interesting um, mechanisms for for finding out these sort of things because you don't know what you don't you don't know what you don't know. The users will always come up with something that you were not even thinking about uh, finding out. It's like you're gonna you know test something, you know, take test the checkout flow, and then. You'll be thinking about, oh, maybe, you know, they don't like the typography or there's too many steps or there's not enough options or there's too many options. And then the, the user will tell you, I don't like the orange button. There's too much orange. Um, it's Or or I don't know, you know, it's, that, it's a color I, ju I just don't like. And you were not expecting that. You're going to be like, oh, you know, there's no way you can find out uh, just by looking at analytics that they don't like a certain color. And, and, you know, or measuring the wrong thing. What, what, you, what you were saying is like sometimes measuring, quote unquote, engagement is not the best way to determine the success of, a, of an application. Sometimes what you want is the user to do things faster and, and to have a higher success rate in less time. Um, you also mentioned uh, something um, around the, the having too many options that I think for it's it's a problem for everyone but especially for elder elderly people having too many options puts a lot of stress in the user's mind and there's a ton of research on this it, there's there's a term called cognitive overload mm. which is when there's too many decisions and there's actually a formula i think it was a, a paper back in the 60s or something someone discovered that there's a correlation between the amount of options the number of options that you have and the time it takes you to make a decision and also the amount of stress that making that decision um, uh, is, is putting on you on yourself. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, that's why you, I mean, you can never, also if we're um, seeing a layout for a simple blog post, you know, if you have a lot of words in one line, that's also stressful. Um, and it's just simple rules that we can follow and uh, you will already have a better conversion rate. Um, so that's why I think the design um, department shouldn't be as a silo, but you have to organize your uh, organization around design, you know, so we can all talk together 
um, and transparently share our information about users and that we also know what's our end goal. Um, and also if we touch the, the goals, you know, you cannot just say, okay, our goal is to improve the customer satisfaction because I think that's too vague. And a lot of times uh, you can see that company was, I don't know, scored for the NPS this X uh, number. But what does that mean? You know, what's the difference between number seven and number six or five and seven? It doesn't tell you anything. So yeah. you have to define like concrete goal. So for e-commerce site, you will probably say, you can probably say, okay, we need to come um, to 1 million sales revenue in four months. And then you will create specific tasks that will bring you to 1 million. And you will also involve people that you need um, for these specific tasks. Task. Yeah, one important part of the strategy is making sure that everyone knows about it. Because if you conduct research and you have this set of goals and you um, tra um, transform your metrics and all is good, you're not really achieving anything if only two or three people in your company know about this. You need to make sure everyone from marketing to support to development, to design, everyone needs to be on board with what the goals are. So another role of, of the designer when, when implementing a strategy, I feel like is um, making that strategy actionable and actually useful for the company. So, you know, whether that is um, collecting two or three key insights and then making sure that everyone understands them and then all the time setting goals and all the time reviewing those goals, make sure that we are adhere adhering to what we said uh, was going to be our path to achieve those goals. Otherwise, the strategy is, is just, oh, okay, we have this research, we have, you know, these instructions of what we need to do, but we don't really know how to, how to implement this and we're just going to go back to the old ways. Yeah, because in the end, also your CFO is part of making decisions for your customers. And um, if we're all aware of the cost and also, in the, on the other hand, opportunity costs, um, we can adapt the workflow. But usually when you come um, as an outsourced person, you know, to the company and you tell them, yeah, yeah, you will have to change the workflow, otherwise you will not be successful, that's very stressful and also, in the other hand, time-consuming. So I think it's cool that you level up, you know, you level up. Um, the workflow in some specific timeline. Otherwise, your employees can be very uh, resistant to change. And once they will um, start to know the process and you will educate them about every step um, on the way, they will understand the design process and then they can also implement um, and start using it by themselves. And I think that's the win um, that you can be really proud of if you learn people to do that yeah mm -hmm. absolutely so so far we've talked about um the value of strategy why it's important uh the value of research uh when should be should we be doing research and um in in what way and how research is uh differs from just looking at plain analytics um i also want to talk about for 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 our audience when you are a designer that you want to sell the value of a strategy and like explain all of this 
concepts that we've been talking about to to the client um what i i feel i feel like that the selling process starts before you uh, you're ever contacted by the client i feel like you need to market yourself in a way that educates the the client um and put like craft your online presence and your marketing in a way that the client knows what to expect when they reach out to you. Like if you're all about design strategy and you have your website, designstrategy.guide, and you talk about it, you write about it, you, you podcast about it, a client is not going to come to you and say, hey, I don't want your research. I don't want your strategy. I just want you to do this visual uh, design. It's not going to happen because that's not the way you are seen online. So what would be your advice for... Uh, agencies and for designers that want to change the way they are perceived by their clients or how to like alter their online presence so that they can filter out the clients that only want this tiny visual thing or this tiny thing that they don't really understand the value of design and they start attracting the right type of client that values research that understands the value of strategy. I think that's closely connected um, to defining your ideal customer. So if your ideal customer is a um, student and you want to educate them about design, and also for me, like if I would want to educate design students uh, about design strategy, then I would probably be very um, um, active on Instagram or like we said before, on TikTok and etc. But if you are attracting um, companies, you will probably be more active on LinkedIn um, and also do more content strategy because once they will read um, your blog um, and the kind of resources you share, they will start to know you better. And also, I think it's very important that you are authentic so that you are the same person online as you are um, offline. Um, because once you will provide um, workshops for them and also the workflow and you will engage with them in a more regular base, um, it's important that you are the same person, you know. If I'm writing, um, I don't know, humorous blog posts, I'm probably more funny person also when we will talk. Um, so you have to find some uh, people that you like to work with and that you also have the same values, you know, and I do do that in the same way because it's really hard to work with clients that don't respect you or don't agree with your opinions. Um, in the end, you're just some, I mean, they act with you like you're some kind of trash and that doesn't help anyone, you know, you don't want to be that person. So it's the same for agencies. So... Yeah, absolutely. You definitely don't want to attract the wrong type of client. And a way to filter out those clients is with your online presence. I think um, as, a, as a consultant, design consultant, or as an agency, you, your, sale, your sales process, let's, let's not call it the sales process, but sort of like your relationship with the client starts before the initial conversation that you have with them. It starts when they, when they see you online they they read your content or they 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 listen to your content or watch your content or whatever you choose um to to put out and uh, that's how you start building trust um there's this um i don't know where i read this 
but uh, it goes like people do business with um, or clients do business with people they like and trust. I think I read it on, on, on Christo's book. I don't, I don't remember. But it's true. You don't want to do business with someone you don't like or, or you don't, you don't let's call it vibe with. It's like what you mentioned. If you're not authentic, if you're one person in your online content and a completely different person in in, in real life, there's going to be this off balance. They're going to be like, oh, this is not really how I thought you were going to be. So when you are being really yourself, instead of trying to be someone else, just, you know, be authentic. They know what to expect and they know if they, they already know before they contact you, if they, if they want to work with you or not, or if they would consider working with you or not. Yeah. Um, because I was thinking a lot, you know, I was, um, I had a one call with a consultant um, for the communication and uh, she told me like, yeah, you know, you have to be very um, approachable, you know, and like American people uh, a lot of times are like, oh my God, yeah, this is so cool. You know, they're really uh, excited about everything. And I told her, yeah, I know that that's a way to sell more, but I'm not like that, you know. So if I act that uh, I'm really ecstatic and all over the place, and then I attract uh, wrong kind of clients, you know, I will never be like that when we will have a call. Of course, I will show my uh, positive feelings, but that doesn't mean that I will jump around like a crazy uh, woman, you know. So this is a cool example of being authentic and also knowing what you want to who you want to work with yeah it's funny because it's it's true um clients you know depending on their personality your personality flows through your content as well and through your online presence if you're being authentic and and you're you're you know being honest to yourself and you're going to attract the people that also match your personality it's not so much about the people that want to hire your services for their professional quality, but also they, it's you're gonna attract the people that have similar personalities or compatible personalities to the one you're putting out online. It's like what you said: if if you're more calm, reflexive, uh, you're not gonna attract you know very loud people who talk a lot and um and more are more extroverts because it's not gonna. It might work. You can be both very professional, but it's not gonna be an ideal fit. Whereas if you're a very, by nature, you're a very extrovert person, very loud, who likes to talk a lot, you're probably going to be attracting that type of clients. It's like you, you need to get out of this mindset that there's only a few clients you can go, you can work with. There's literally hundreds upon thousands of new tech companies requiring design services that are coming up every single year. And they, I know this because I know a lot of founders and a lot of uh, people that are creating digital products. They have a really hard time finding good talent that they can work with, that they can trust, and then they can see uh, um, that, that they can keep working together and build a relationship. And that is because so many agencies and consultants are not 
are putting out this undifferentiated offer out there. They're, they're all selling the same thing and they're all selling it in the same way and marketing themselves the, sell, the same way. It's like, oh yeah, we're a UX agency and we sell, you know, we know we do the wireframes and we do uh, the applications, uh, user experience and things like that. And there's thousands of companies just doing the exact same thing. So how do you expect the client to choose between one of those? It's like going back to the barbershop if they're all selling the same thing, you're not going to be choosing based on um, the quality of this. Well, maybe the quality, but not the type of service. Uh, you're going to be choosing by other things. You're going to be judging by proximity to where you live. And, you know, if they give you, you know, tea or whatever, when you walk in, it's the same thing when you're marketing yourself. If you want to attract the right kind of people, you have to sh give them more than just a professional just more than the deliverable. They're not buying your deliverable. They're buying the way you think and your ability to solve problems and 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 how you are, who you are as a person. Can they trust you? Would they like to work with you? And the only way for them to find you and to and to even reach out is if you've been working on crafting your online presence based on those um um uh, on, the, on those qualities that we just mentioned, if you were putting out your personality and stuff. Yeah, but um, building relationships is hard, you know, not just in business world, but also in personal life. And I feel that a lot of people just want to have something instant. And when you're searching for instant relationships, uh, that means that um, all your designs are also half-baked because you will probably um, work on a short-term project, which means that you don't even have time to get to know the stakeholders, get to know their customers. You will do something that's trendy and leave it behind and jump on another project. Um, and that's why I uh, believe in long-term projects because you can sync your energies um, and also get to know the business owners in a really um, extensive way. And that's the magic uh, moment then. Because you will um, you will know each other so well that you can um, do amazing stuff. Um, and we're not just talking about fluff now, but also like connecting the whole team together um, on a more personal level too, of course. Yeah, and that's invaluable for uh, that, that's invaluable for businesses. That's getting to work with someone they trust and they've known for a long time. Uh, it's a lot easier. Just the, the relationship flows, just like ev every relationship in your life. It's the same thing, you know. Your clients are are, are people too, of course. So they're gonna. It's just the same as you, you would treat your friends or or your partner or or your family. Um, if there's a if if there's this um, trust that you build up and you've cultivated this relationship, it's gonna be a lot easier to um, have discussions, especially the difficult discussions that happen when you're uh, defining a direction for a product and there's so much uh, risk involved. So um, again, you, you put all of that in your, in your online presence. And I guess that's going to tell the client who you're, who you are and what you're like. And once they start working with you, like you said, it's important to make sure that it's a long-term relationship that you're just not uh I use once and discard type of service, but that you're an expert that they can trust and they can keep coming back to you to uh, for help when they have new problems, which keep happening. Like 
you know, unless if if com if companies are not solving problems, they're you know they're dead. Mm. Yeah, I think now it's uh, because it's everything is changing so fast. You can't ever take your foot off the gas. So you, it's not um, just a specific month in the year that you will con uh, connect with your UX designers or designers, and then they will change some stuff, and then you will forget about them for a month. Um, it's important that you inno innovate constantly, that you iterate on your problems, that you do experiments, and of course that you're also inclusive and let your employees share their ideas um, from different perspectives, you know, from sales, from customer side, um, like we mentioned already before. So, yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, I know that you have a course that, uh, that's sort of like an introduction to design strategy and how to get started with design strategy. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So, um, in the start, I had like an email course where you received 10 different lessons every day for 10 days. Um, but now I changed, the, changed it from email course to actual course. It's still just text-based, but it's actually a crash course because you can go through um, research and you also get some exercises, what you need to do. Then you are introduced to design strategy um, I also share some specific stuff, um, a case study from Samsung and how they come, um, how they create a design strategy process um, and actually become a top tier company. Then I also touch like business objectives and design ROI, what's design system and also you get a step-by-step -step guide how to do a remote design sprint together with the printable templates. So I think it's really useful if you're a designer that you go through all these steps um, because you get a, um, a pretty good overview of the design strategy. Yeah, that, that's, that sounds very interesting. I actually signed up for the course, um, uh, I think, last week or something. Oh, cool. <laughs> Looking forward <laughs> yeah. to receive your feedback. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to... Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And then... Um, where where can people go to find more of you uh, online? Um, well, I think the best way is to contact me on LinkedIn or uh, just type in the design strategy.guide um, and connect there via email. Um, but yeah, I'm also on Instagram. Um, I have a handle Rumina Designer. So you will probably, I mean, I can... I'm very prompt to answer on all the questions. I always like to connect with like-minded um, people um, that want to share some feedback. And also, of course, I can provide you some resources if I know an answer to your question. That's really awesome. Um, all right. So um, I think that's all for today, Romina. Thank you so much for your time and, and for sharing all your knowledge uh, it's been really, really interesting talking to you. Um, I'm gonna write down all the in the in the show description or the you know episode description. I'm gonna add links to where people can find more about you. I'm gonna link your your website and and your your accounts. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure having you on the show. 
Yeah, thank thank you for inviting me, and I hope I shared some insightful um, thoughts that will um, inspire people to research design strategy more, and of course, uh, start with the research. <laughs> oh, excellent. Okay, thank you so much. Um, see you guys next time. Bye bye.